opening words this morning are offered by Jason Cook, titled, The Great Teachers in Life. We seekers are on a quest, a quest to discover truth and meaning. Sometimes we think we've found it, wrapped up, glimmering with newness, straight off the intellectual assembly line. All the answers right here for us and others, if only they'd listen. But truth has a way of coming in disguise, sometimes wearing rags and sometimes finery, but so often cloaked from our immediate sight. And sometimes that which we have rejected, that which we have let go of, or decided was only for others, but not us, that can be our teacher. Let our time of worship be an acknowledgement of the never-ending journey toward truth and meaning, and our appreciation of those we learn from along the way. Come and let us worship together. I wrote this story about a real road trip that I took with my grandparents many, many, many years ago. Sam had just turned eight years old and was about to have the worst summer of their life. Their parents had decided that Sam should go on a road trip with their grandparents all the way across the country in their RV. It wasn't that Sam didn't like their grandparents. Their grandparents were pretty cool. They would come out and visit Sam once a year, and Sam and their parents would go visit Grandma and Grandpa about once a year. And Grandma always took Sam shopping for new clothes. And Grandpa was pretty funny. He sang funny songs, and he would race but let Sam win. But still, a whole summer in the RV with no TV, and no friends, and no computer games, was going to be awful, Sam thought. Day one of the trip was pretty awful. The RV only had a radio. No CDs, no cassettes. They just listened to NPR all day. And the road was super boring. Why, there was nothing interesting to see. Sam spent the whole day coloring and used up the whole coloring book that their mom had given them for the trip. Day two came around, and now there was no more coloring book. Day two, Grandpa turned off the radio and sang instead. Mostly silly songs like, Do Your Ears Hang Low, and I've Been Working on the Railroad. They drove along, and there was nothing but trees to look at. Sam took out the puzzle book that their dad had given them for the trip, even though they didn't like puzzles. It was so boring. Day three came around. And oh, what on earth would they do? Grandpa sang some more. Sam found themselves singing along a little bit. 
Grandma suggested they play I Spy. That was fun for about 30 minutes. And then they all just got quiet and just rolled along down the road in silence together. They had got through the part of the country that was all trees, and now, looking out, there was an occasional animal in the distance, but mostly it was just nothing. And Sam leaned their head against the window and just stared up at the sky. It was a very different sky than Sam was used to. There was nothing to break it up. There were no trees, there were no hills, there were no mountains. There were a few clouds up there, but that was it. In fact, it was the biggest sky that Sam had ever seen. And staring up at that sky in silence and boredom, Sam started to think, what would it be like to just float up into that sky? Or beyond that sky? And then after a while, Sam started to think, you know, I could just be part of the sky and not just in the sky. And Sam felt an incredible feeling of peace that they had never felt before. They didn't have any words to give it a name. So they just called it being super bored. <laughs> and it was a cool feeling to be super bored. That night, as Grandma tucked Sam in in the weird bed that you could make by pushing the table down and the eating benches up, Sam thanked her for bringing them along this trip. It's been fun, Sam said. Kind of. I was worried I would be bored. And I have been very, very bored. But it's also been cool. Good, said Grandma, because there's more of it tomorrow. <laughs> Our first reading today is titled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. One, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I still don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. <laughs> it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it, and I still fall in. It's a habit. It's my fault. I know where I am, and I get out immediately. Four, I walk down the same street. <laughs> There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Five, I walk down a different street. Our second rating is from Unitarian Universalist minister and activist, Robin Tanner. 
a blessing for risk takers and failures. Today we share a blessing for losers, risk takers, all failures far and wide. Blessed are they who fall in the mud, who jump with gusto and rip the pants, who skin the elbows and bruise the ego, for they shall know the sweetness of risk. Blessed are they who make giant mistakes, whose intentions are good, but impact has injured, who know the hot sense of regret and ask for mercy, for their hearts will know the gift of forgiveness. Blessed are they who have seen a D or an F or a C or any letter less than perfect, who are painfully familiar with the red pen and the labels as less than, for they shall know the wisdom in the imperfect. Blessed are they who try again, who dust off, who wash up, who extend the wish for peace, who return to sites of failure, who are dogged in their pursuit, for they will discover the secret to dreams. Blessed are they who refuse to listen to the naysayers, for their hearts will be houses for hope. Blessed are they who see beyond the surface of another, for they will be able to delight in the gift of compassion. Blessed are they who stop running the race to help a fellow traveler, who pick up the fallen, who stop for injured life, for they shall know the kindness of strangers. Blessed are they who wildly, boldly abandoned winning, for they shall know the path of justice. So end our readings. A Buddhist story tells of a professor who went to a wise one asking to learn. And the professor said, please let me be your student. Give me counsel and teach me your wisdom. So the wise one invited the professor to tea in order to discuss this request. And as she poured the tea, it filled the cup and began to spill over the rim of the cup onto the table and then onto the floor, getting all over the professor's shoes. And finally, the professor said, Teacher, enough! Can't you see that the cup is full? Why do you keep pouring? And the wise one said, You are like this cup, so full that nothing more can be added. Come back to learn when you are more empty. Welcome to the month of March. 
in which we will explore our spiritual theme of wisdom. March is also Women's History Month, and so we may go way back in history to ancient times where the ancient Greeks honored the goddess of wisdom, Sophia. There is a name for the feminine figure of wisdom in the Hebrew, Latin, and Celtic languages in addition to Greek. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, Sophia names the feminine divine. She is often associated with King Solomon, wise King Solomon, and is the personification of wisdom in the Jewish Bible. There are shrines to her all around the world. This month, may we turn our awareness to the presence of Sophia. Just like the professor in the story, we tend to think of wisdom as something that we acquire. Perhaps with schooling and degrees, how many letters can we list after our name or how many titles can we collect? We think wise people have large book collections. They come to books, beans, and brownies. <laughs> or they are widely traveled with many adventures under their belt. Or we might think that wisdom can be received from others or is something that we acquire with age. We live in a consumer culture that tells us that buying something, a product or an experience will make us happy, fulfilled and wise. And we live in a culture that values doing rather than being. We are told to buy more, do more, read more, watch more. Heaven forbid that there should be nothing to do. We might be bored. Oh my. And as with many things, there is a nugget of truth in what we are told. We can learn from books and classes and travel and adventures. We can learn as we get older and we have more life experiences. But those things aren't enough. Knowledge isn't enough and it isn't wisdom. I especially like this very practical description of the difference between knowledge and wisdom from the journalist Miles Kington. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in the fruit salad. <laughs> Theologian Matthew Fox describes wisdom this way. Wisdom is always taste. Both in Latin and Hebrew, the word for wisdom comes from the word for taste. So it's something to taste, not something to theorize about. Taste and see that God is good, the psalm says. And that's wisdom, tasting life. No one can do it for us. The mystical tradition is very much a Sophia tradition. It's about tasting and trusting experience before institution or dogma. Fox is speaking of the mystic's practice of seeking direct connection to something greater, 
whether you call it God, the universe, the infinite web, divine wisdom, Sophia, or something else. Whether it is the practice of whirling, sitting in silence, prayer, chanting, the intent is the same. Emptying oneself and focusing one's attention in order to connect with the mystery, that which is beyond us, that which we cannot know with our minds, but can experience with our hearts. Wisdom is indeed grounded in our experience, but in order to glean wisdom from what we take in, whatever that might be, experiences or knowledge, we have to sift through to find the nugget of gold, the kernel of truth, the universal value. We have to simplify all that we know into the essential questions, and perhaps, if we're lucky, even a few tentative answers. This sifting process is a process of reflection and contemplation in the many ways that that is possible. It might be a walk in the woods, or writing, or meditation, talking with a trusted friend, contemplating an object of beauty, sitting in the back seat of a car or an RV, or just being. We each may have a different practice, but the intent is the same. Being with knowledge and experience in such a way that we understand its meaning for our lives and for how we are in the world. That makes wisdom. Knowing something doesn't mean that we know how to live it. For that, we have to act in the world. The process of experience or engagement or action and then reflection on that action, and then re-engagement in the world and more action based on that learning, well, that whole process is called praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. It's an ancient Greek word that is used to describe the process of a theory or idea being tested or realized. In spiritual language, it's the process of finding meaning in our knowledge in order to understand the universal truth or wisdom, and that will inform our doing and our being. Action, reflection, practice. Knowledge, meaning, wisdom. Most weeks, I have the opportunity to put this into practice when I write a sermon. I take my knowledge from reading and study, and I mix it with my life experience, and I reflect. I sit with the question, what is a universal truth here? I journal, I walk, I think, I meditate, and then I write, and then I ponder some more. It's why I write my sermons early in the week. I need time to reflect and deepen my practice. And with luck at the end, by Sunday morning, I at least know what I think, what wisdom I have gleaned from that process. 
Whether or not you see it as wisdom is, of course, up to you. I simply offer fodder for your own process of making meaning and wisdom. What you do with it is up to you. Learning to preach over the years, I've talked to many ministers about their sermon writing practices, and we all do it a little bit differently. Some of my colleagues write weeks in advance, and some write late on Saturday evening. Part of the process of ministerial formation is learning our own best practice for the art of sermon writing. Because after all, isn't knowing ourselves its own kind of wisdom. In our Unitarian Universalist tradition, we tend to be more interested in the questions than the answers. We are a creedless tradition, which means that we do not tell people what to believe. You don't have to believe something in particular to belong here. We do not accept whatever comes off the intellectual assembly line. We ask questions. We reflect, we discuss, we discuss a lot. We act and we decide for ourselves. We say that everyone has a right to decide their own beliefs and we accompany each other on our journeys to find truth and meaning, knowing that there are multiple truths. And we put our beliefs into action, working for justice that further informs our beliefs. It's a cycle of spiritual growth, action, reflection, practice, knowledge, meaning, wisdom. This is not an easy path, and it requires courage. Over the years, I have known family and friends and coworkers and congregants who, when faced with a hard life experience, are certain that it is God's will or that it was meant to be. Some of you may hold that belief as well. And while I do believe that the effects of interconnectedness can seem miraculous and that there are many things that I do not understand, I don't believe in a being beyond us that controls everything. And I admit that sometimes I envy that certainty. Questions and uncertainty can be much harder to live with. For inspiration, I am reminded of the quote from the poet Rainier Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answers. I believe this is one of the reasons that we seek out each other and create community. We like to have help living the questions, support as we face uncertainty, and companions on our journey. Each spring, 
The calendar offers us an invitation to empty ourselves to make space for what may come. This is the season of Lent in the Christian calendar. This past week, many celebrated Mardi Gras or Carnival on Shrove Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday. In this tradition, Mardi Gras is the last day of fat eating before the fasting of Lent. Ash Wednesday begins the 40 days of the Lenten season, ending with Monday Thursday, this year on April 9th. Monday Thursday honors the Last Supper, a Seder meal in the Jewish tradition shared by Jesus with his disciples. Lent leads up to the weekend that includes the grief of Good Friday, the anticipation of Holy Saturday, and the celebration of Easter Sunday. Lent is characterized by the spiritual practice of fasting, often giving up certain foods or festivities. It's used by the Christians to honor the 40 days after his baptism that Jesus fasted in the desert as he prepared for his public ministry. Lent is seen as a time for reflection, self-discipline, and sacrifice, mirroring the journey that Jesus took on his path to service. Fasting these days often involves giving up something that might be seen as a vice or an excess, smoking, sugar, meat, alcohol, television, or screens. One year, a friend of mine said that she was giving up anger for Lent. <laughs> I suggest that it is less about what we give up and more about the process of emptying out and letting go. At its center, Lent is about inviting, it is about the spiritual practice of making space, emptying out our minds, bodies, and spirits, making room for what is yet to come. The wise one, Sophia, would invite us, just as she did the professor, to empty ourselves so that we may be more open to the truth in whatever form it may come, whatever form the goddess of wisdom takes in our lives. Lent is about uncertainty and inviting the questions. As we move through the month of March, most of the days in this season of Lent, I invite you to consider these questions. In this Lenten season, what is taking up space within you that you might need to empty out? What will help you be courageous in the face of uncertainty and questions? What new wisdom is Sophia inviting you to discover, uncover, and unfold? We'll hold several minutes of silence together as we face our uncertainty and our questions. We extinguish our chalice with these words from Elaine Gallagher-German. 
Walk softly. Speak truthfully. Love gently. Breathe deeply. Live wisely. Go in peace.